Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 77 with my friend, Joy. Joy was on my summer series with entrepreneurs and small business owners, and she came back to kind of dive into her personal life and not just her business life. And it was such a delightful conversation, and I can't think of anybody more appropriate to have during Sober October than Joy Andrioli, who is a recovery coach, and you will find out her backstory right about now. So sit back, buckle up, dive in. This is my friend, Joy. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? I'm excited about this because this is... Uh, this is you. I want to get to know you and, and not just your book and, and the stuff you're doing now, but, you know, from uh, all the way back in the day to, to now. And and I'm excited to learn who Joy is. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so. what, what it, that's, that's just fine. That's just fine. <laughs> but, but I have to tell you, it's in, who Joy is is informed by all of the work that I've done over the years, you know. It's oh, yeah. So, so I, I I will probably have to touchstone on some of those things to to discuss who Joy is. I, I hope I hope you do that. Um, but I nor well I normally start out with how I know people, and as I mentioned in the entrepreneur episode, I know you from Clubhouse, um, and I, I guess now I know you from being on my podcast already. So that that's how yeah. I know you and. I, I want to go to all the stuff I don't know. I have obviously from what we just talked about. I know you have a sister. Do you have any other siblings? I have a brother. Where are you at in that sibling order? I am the youngest okay. of three. So mm-hmm. I'm the youngest too. I we're the best of this of all the kids. Isn't that great? Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> um, did you grow up out in California? I grew up in Dana Point. Started out in Buena Park, and we moved to Laguna Beach for about a year, which changed our lives dramatically. Yeah. And then we, and then we moved over to Dana Point, which was really great. How did, how did living in Laguna Beach for a year change your life? Uh, It was artistic. It was walking up and down the street with the Hare Krishnas. It was living in an apartment with my stepfather and my two other siblings in this short walk down to the beach. So it was really my in, my intro into a kind of a more uh, creative, exciting lifestyle. And, and then there was the beach, of course. So all of that was really, really fun for us. Yeah, that community, I mean, I imagine you were there before I was. Uh, how, like what, how old, what year would you say you were out there? We moved, well, we moved there when probably when I was seven. So 1967. Okay. Yeah, so in uh, the six, in the, right in the middle of the '60s. Yeah, I uh, I popped my head in there, uh, about 35 years later. But it's a, it just, it really is a, a life changing place. And I don't know, I, I still get some like a lot of goodness out of it now. When that TV show came out, I just about lost my mind because I felt like it was my little secret, like Laguna Beach, because I had family and friends that knew about it that took us there and. Uh, and then when that show came out, I was like, no, no, everyone's going to know. This place is amazing. So then when we moved to Dana Point, the same thing. I mean, I go back today and I think, God, they, these people don't live here, you know, because they're now they're making it into this little, 
you know, this little Newport enclave in a sense, they're trying to revamp it. But when we grew up there, we were just beach kids running around. There was nothing in the hills. And now there's all these big houses everywhere. And these, yeah. it was, it's a very different place. Oh, sure. Than when I, when I grew up, yeah. <laughs> it was a long time ago. And, but I mean, it's still in my, it's still the same thing in my heart. Yeah, but you you said you lived uh, with your stepdad there. When did your parents divorce? Uh, when I was probably around five, okay. four or five. Same. <laughs> um, do you remember that at all? Mm-hmm. I do. I do remember it, and it was confusing. It was traumatic, and it was um, again changed my life dramatically. From that point on, um, little by little, I had to uh, be my own protector and man in a sense. And I wasn't very good at it. So, so because my father was gone and that, that was really difficult when I think, you know, looking back now, it was really difficult. And at the time I didn't think it was because I was the kid who was going, Oh my God, they're having a crazy argument. And my mom shows up on the couch and I remember, I think I must've been three. Cause I, re- I even have the visual in my mind that I took her in my arms and said, it's going to be okay. We're going to work it out. So that, that kind of thing in, has been in me, my, you know, that's, that's how I started out basically yeah. thinking that there's a better, there's gotta be a better way. And I know there is, and I will find it. How much older are your siblings? My sister is six years older. My brother is four years older. Okay. So they were, mm-hmm. I mean, they, I guess they would be more like comprehension age when your parents divorced, uh, especially your sister, to some yes. degree. Yes. It, it had a different effect on all of us in yeah. diff- very different ways. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just curious uh, if you got any of that, because you said you kind of had to be your own protector. Did you not get that from your siblings once once your parents divorced? It was the 60s. So, and then the early seventies when we were teens. So my sister kind of was off and older and doing her own thing. And she, you know, she left pretty early. My brother was on his kind of his own trajectory with alcohol. You know, he was really into to drugs. And that, I think the, the loss of having our father in the home really impacted him. Yeah. So they were kind of on their own. And then I was on sort of on my own in a sense. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm only asking that when you mention you're comforting your mother, I have memories like that, that after, you know, doing years of therapy and, and the work there, uh, some of that I see as like the origins of, of kind of an enmeshed relationship. And, and Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I'm curious the effect that that had on you when you were younger. Oh. What does that look like? 17? Why did you, what, what was the situation there where you ended up on your own? Um, my mother was actually moving away because she, she had, the stepfather was gone. She had met a man up in uh, Washington and she decided to move up there to be with him. And so she left and I did not want to go do that. I didn't want to leave California. So I stayed here and, uh, and decided I would become a house cleaner. And at the time, though, I was uh, drinking a lot and using cocaine. What a fun combination. (laughs) (laughs) Great combination, right? Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, so that happened, and I began cleaning houses, and I hooked up with a uh, dealer, and, uh, yeah, and then that was, that was, that lasted about, 
two years and and then I was done. I mean, my my it, it just ended very, very quickly because I knew that I would either die or I would be killing somebody else. But pretty much I was more I think I said this the last time I was more of a suicidal type. Yeah. Um, so I would have been dead in a closet or something somewhere or overdosing, which I did. And I, I got out of the hospital, but, um, so by the time I was before my 21st birthday, I basically put myself in a recovery home. Was that the last time you used when you were, Yes. that's, that's awesome. What a, what yeah, a, what a foresight. <laughs> Yeah, but my brother had been in the program in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I knew about it. And I, because at that time, that was the only way. It was sort of the, the way, right? And so I remember him taking me to a meeting at one point, and the people were very nice, and I got numbers, and they were smiling, and they were happy, and they were welcoming in a way that was real because I knew that they were sober. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't, they didn't want anything from me. And, um, so that was very attractive. And so by the time I got really ready, which, uh, like I said, happened really quickly, I just decided to put myself in this place for, or if they said stay three months and I decided to do a week and then I went out and then, oh, actually, and then a week later I ended up smoking some cocaine or something and not or something that's what i did and then um and then i went right back and then i just said you know what i know i'm gonna die if i do this and so i i went back in to the place and i stayed for three months and i did whatever they told me to do so you're 21 at this point right you're sober and, 20 and tw you're still only 20 what so what is that what does your life look like after rehab um living sober living in california what are you doing for for work you still cleaning houses I, my, the, the, my sponsor, cause we have sponsors in the, that program. She assigned herself to me. I, I was very underweight. I was, uh, I, I couldn't really talk to anyone. I was very afraid. And then this little recovery home on a hill in Dana point, uh, you know, there were men and women there and it was a state run facility. So there were like, I think I was in a room with five women and there were five men and various people would come and go because not many people stay, yeah. not many people really stay. But, um, so anyway, she came up to take people to meetings and I, she assigned herself to me because I was way too shy to ask anybody to help, to help to be my sponsor. So, um, yeah. So what it looks like is I did whatever she said to do. And she said before you, cause I thought I want to go to school. You know, I remembered writing in my yearbook, uh, want to go to college, you know, but I had tried before, but I was so afraid that I had to get up and speak in front of people. I just would go out and drink and not do it. I mean, I was showing up at one class and then just never going back. Yeah. So she said, before you do that, you're young enough. You should be, um, a year sober, get your sober foundation. And I, I was, so desperate at that time that I just did whatever she told me to do. And, um, and now, you know, almost 40 years later, this is like one of, she's the best friend, good, a very, very good friend of mine and still somebody I go to for very solid, um, counsel yeah. and sometimes direction, you know, and it's really great to have that relationship that somebody that knows 
me for that long of a period of time. And not everybody gets that, but I, I felt real, very fortunate. I did a year of, of just basically going to meetings, hanging out with people that were sober, learning some kind learning some basic social skills, basically how to talk to people, how to say no. I did a lot of odor overeating, a lot of overeating, especially the first 10 years back and forth and I, you know, I would overeat and I would undereat and overeat and overexercise. You know, it's like we get off the merry-go-round. I, I talk about this actually, like this merry-go-round of, of al- alcohol or whatever addiction it is, but yeah. I got off the merry-go-round, which was like constantly reaching for the brass ring, but never catching it. Like, but only doing it over and over again and, and thinking I'm going to catch that brass ring, but I never quite got it until finally I was so sick sick of that that i got off but then i went on to the roller coaster which is the dips the drama intensity pain and struggle so you know i think in early sobriety at least in mine and what i notice in others not all but but a few that there's a lot of drama around relationships intensity and pain and struggle with decision making with with uh, friendships, with romantic relationships. There was a lot of that, that, um, that I experienced and got to work on a little bit of emotional sobriety. Hey, you guys, it is sober October. Who's excited about that? I am. I am because I don't drink. What I do drink is really awesome, high quality craft beer in the non-alcoholic realm. And it's amazing what is out there, and it keeps getting better and better. This year, there is Oktoberfest beers available from multiple breweries. The market in in non-alcoholic beer is growing exponentially. And one that sticks out to me that I want to mention for this episode is Bravis Brewing Company. They're out of California. They are one of the people that have Oktoberfest uh, this season, as well as all their flagship beers, IPA, Amber, Oatmeal Stout. Ooh, Christmas is coming. They have a barrel-aged maple stout. Mmm, it's very expensive, (laughs) but it's very tasty. So check them out at bravas.com, and you can use code FRIENDREQUEST to save 10%. So jump on the bandwagon with Sober October and try out some really awesome non-alcoholic craft beer at bravas.com and use code friend request. All right, back to the episode. Are you doing anything else or are you just kind of working steps and, and kind of dealing with your own shit? Like what, what support systems did you have to help you deal with that stuff in those first five, 10 years? I had, uh, my first five, 10 years I had, uh, the support system of the 12, the eight Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay. Yeah. So it was a matter of working the steps. I also, when I went back to school, I also went and, and of course I sought out therapy. I think I've been in therapy ever since, like as soon as I got into school, I went to some, I mean, I'm always trying to figure, figure it out. Right. So how old are you when you go back to school? 20, 20 probably 22 or 23 at the end of my 20, you know, it was a year after I got sober. So probably I was about, I was 22. So, and I spent four years going to, you know, I went to college. And so then I, where'd you go to school? (laughs) I went to Cal state Fullerton. Okay. So I went to Cal state Fullerton and I also went to Saddleback junior college, Okay. uh, which is down in orange County also. Um, 
So I did that and I worked as a waitress and I cleaned houses and I went to a 7 a.m. meeting. So I went to a 7 a.m. meeting every morning. I would go clean houses. I had a full loaded school and then I would hostess and then finally waitress at night, a place called Jolly Roger on the corner right across from the greener and the where the greeter used to be at the Hotel Laguna. Um, so I did, I did, that's kind of what my life was like for that first five years is it, it was very busy. So it, there was maybe a little bit of, of psychological, you know, growth, but it was mostly just paying the rent, getting through school. And, and my sponsor, she would just say, just get your degree, just get your degree, no matter what. And you know what? I just, I just did. I mean, I was like, what else was I going to do? I didn't want to be a house cleaner. I tried to, I thought maybe I'll start a house cleaning service, but I didn't, that didn't pan out. And frankly, I kind of liked it because I got paid well and um, I got to see results and people were very happy with my, I mean, I, I, at that time it was, it was really great. It was a great job. I just uh, interviewed somebody that was talking about their, their mom cleaned houses when they were growing up and they loved she would occasionally go with her and she loved it because they were always like mansions that she cleaned. And so I wonder, especially in that area, like, did you find yourselves in or yourself in just extravagant homes? Okay. So I wanted my house cleaned and I had, I had this really great apartment with my friend that was sober at the time. And we decided if we were going to move into this great apartment that I wasn't going to be the one cleaning it and she wasn't. And so we decided to hire a house cleaner. So we hired somebody to come and he shows up, he and his, well, it's sort of his, his girlfriend. He was this big African-American man. And she was this short little pint sized Jewish woman. We had them clean our house and I really liked this guy. He was really uh, an amazing man. And, um, and I got an offer to clean this, one of those mansions in Newport Coast, which was a drive from me. It was like, that was a half hour away because I was in Dana Point. And I thought, well, I could do it if I did it with this guy. And uh, his name was JC. And so I asked JC if he would do it, and my gosh, for, I mean, I'm just getting chills talking about it, for, um, I don't know, it must have been two years, two or so years, maybe longer, we would go to, I won't mention his name, to this man's house. His wife had just left him, and he had a bachelor there. So JC and I would go to this huge mansion, and uh, I guess you would call it a mansion. It was just a big house to me at that time. Um and we would clean his house together and we would have these amazing talks on and off. He was a Vietnam vet, uh, JC. And, um, and he'd also, he'd also done a bit of psychodrama in college. He was in his four, he was like 40 and I was only 20, but we had such a close friendship and he was, he was one of the first men that I felt completely safe around. Yeah. He wanted nothing from me. He wanted nothing of my body, yeah. nothing from me. He just, we just had a good rapport together and that was uh, very special. So basically probably five, 10 years ago, I wrote him a letter after 20 some odd years to thank him for that because that had not been my experience in my life. Yeah. Uh, that, that kind of safety with the opposite sex. But that had to be a nice thing to kind of pack away in your mind. Like, oh, this connection is something I want like in the future with somebody, right? Like, did you get that at all? 
um, where where you were yeah. you got to a preview of kind of what you wanted down the road. Does that make sense? Yeah, I wanted the ease. I wanted that camaraderie. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you, what do you get your degree in? Psychology. Okay, yeah. uh, well, in communicate in the four year school, I yeah. got it in communications and you know radio, TV, film production, and okay. then later later psychology for the master for graduate school. What do you uh, end up doing with the radio and communications and? So I I ended up uh, moving up to Los Angeles with a boyfriend who was already here working in the film business, and I became a script supervisor. And that's like the continuity person oh, on the I'm, set. I'm well aware. <laughs> I, you uh, are? Well, I, yeah, oh. I, I, I worked on TV shows for a little while um, back when I lived in L.A. And then I, I made... I made movies and stuff in school and like that was originally what I wanted to do when I got out of high school. How successful were you in that industry? Well, it depends on what you define as success. Well, I throw some credits out at me, Joy. <laughs> I was well, that's what I mean. I wasn't I wasn't successful in that, oh, you know, I worked on all these big features. I worked a lot of industrial training films. I did uh, you know, the people under the stairs was probably the the, bit, the one that anybody would know. I was a script supervisor on that. I have so many but, memories um, of that movie. <laughs> but I know, I know. I think I may have been used me for one of the those bloody scenes. Um that's funny. So, but I did that, and then I also decided that I wanted to be out of the chair and be an assistant director, so I did that, and then I did production management. It was always smaller productions. So I did that for a while, and then I uh, met my husband, this husband, and we, um, I worked, still worked in the film business, and then and then I had to go, I did like unsolved mysteries and it was really tough to go work on location okay. to produce out of, and, and I just, I just got this feeling like maybe I didn't want to do this anymore. So I decided, uh, my husband and I decided, yeah, if you want to become a yoga teacher, sure, do it. So when do you, when do you meet your current husband? The first time I met him was, it was actually at an, an AA meeting, which was 25 years ago. Okay. We started dating. I had been during that period when I was kind of mid thirties, early thirties. That was when I did was starting to do a lot of psychological work, mm-hmm. um, to to write the ship, yeah. to write the write my relations with another human beings with a relationship. So, what was the um, what was the catalyst to you doing that work? A really awful relationship. Okay. A really awful relationship <laughs> where a friend of mine said, Hey, you're in this bad relationship. Listen to this tape of this woman and my therapy session. So I listened to it and I said, I've got to see this woman. So I did, I went and saw the woman and then I ended up going into her group every Friday for three years. It was started at 7am, 7 to 10am. And there were a bunch of girls that would go to this group. You could walk in whenever you want. And I'd get there early because I was way too shy to to talk to anybody to talk about my stuff in front of anyone. Yeah. I was still very shy at that time. Now I'm it's okay, but uh, yeah. So that sent me on the journey, and boy, I learned so much in that group. I took, and that's when I, you know, that's when I thought, you know, maybe someday I'll I'll become a therapist. Was too. this like a group therapy setting? Is that what it was? It was run. It was you could call it that, but it was run in such a way where you know, we would be in a group setting 
in her office. Yeah. And yeah. there would be uh, one person would come with to work with the therapist at the t- at the one time. She would get twenty minutes. Okay. So we'd all put down our twenty dollars for our twenty minutes or fifteen minutes, whatever it was. She would tape the session. So when we would leave, we would actually have this session that we could play over and over again, which I think was a really great That's interesting. way. It's, oh my gosh, it's great to have that because then I would listen to these tapes and it would get reinforced. All of the functional behaviors that I wanted to move towards and all of the dysfunctional favors, I could hear my, my own dysfunction. Yeah. So I think taping sessions and listening to them is like, a really great combo for therapy. And how long is when do you go back to school and get your degree in psychology? Because how long? Um, well, I guess when I was forty, around forty-four, forty-five. Okay. So in that, do you go from be forty-three, like working in Hollywood to going back to school? No, I I had learned. I I took. Um, I became a yoga practitioner. Okay. I love Iyengar yoga. That was where I really learned how to do yoga. I love Iyengar yoga and I saved me, healed me from doing a kind of yoga that actually I, I injured myself. I take responsibility for it, but I listened to somebody that said, pull harder, do it, do it, do it, do it harder, harder, harder. And because I just, I'm pretty, I'll just do if that's what I'm told. If I, yeah. But it, he wasn't a trustworthy teacher to do that with. And, um, and I tore my back to such an extent it still is today. So, so what, to, to answer your question is I did yoga. I taught for a while. And then um, I helped my husband in his business a little bit. And then I decided I wanted to go back to school. And I decided to do it a semester at a time to see if I would really like it. Yeah. And I did. That's great. <laughs> so you went and then... Do you get licensed right after school? I get licensed right after, well, after, yeah, right after school, probably maybe six months after, after you get your hours, there's 3,000 hours. So after I got my hours, yes. And then you start seeing clients right away or what does that look like? Well, you're seeing clients while you're in your practice, while you're in school, you kind of become this intern. And so I had, I had some clients then and, and then I started holding groups like this, uh, like this therapist did. And, uh, so I did that also in my space. And, and I also, she became, I did, uh, three years, uh, cognitive behavioral training with her at the want Institute with, uh, Dr. Pat Allen. And then I did a little bit like for a year or two, maybe two years. I did her pre-show. She had a very popular show in Los Angeles, uh, it's a relationship show at the Odyssey Theater Okay. once a week. And so I did, and then I did that for, I did like the pre-show, like they have the comic. Yeah. It was a live audience and we worked with people in the audience. So people would raise their hand and come down and then you'd work one-on-one with them. And it wasn't like, oh, we're going to do some heavy therapy. It was where she was very funny. She is a very funny person. And um, yeah, so it was a show. <laughs> What is that transition to as far as like what's happening between then and and now what you're doing? Between then and now. Well, in that class, I may have mentioned in that class, I saw them writing 
what the addiction cycle was in my chemical dependency class. And, and I came up with the recovery cycle. And so between then and now I wrote that book, uh, the recovery cycle and transformation. And now, um, my husband and I have, uh, great life together and I and I and the pieces of the pie are I do my stuff for the book and um and carry the message in any way I can sponsor people and I also um have a few clients and which is nice I have just enough yeah Uh, they, they come and go though and I mean really my main goal is to carry the message that that a good life is doable no matter where we come from. I really believe it. There's a pony in it. You know, there's a pony oh, yeah. in there. And I really believe that. So that's my, because I feel like if I could do it, yeah. then well, I'm, I think anyway. I'm curious. And I know this is a loaded question and asking for a, a short answer on this is crazy, but I'll ask it anyway. <laughs> How has your view of recovery changed from 20 years old to today? I think whereas when I first got sober, it was like I was grabbing. I thought everybody had the answer. So I'm grabbing for the answer. I'm taking, I, I need the answer. I need the answer. Now I don't feel like I have all of the answers, but I do feel like I have enough sobriety and enough of a good life, enough of a stable life to be able to give back in a much bigger way than I did when I was new. Um, and that said, the people that are new today, they don't know, but they are giving to me. So it's like this, this, this beautiful synergy in a sense when new people come in. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. My, my opinions or my, my view of it. Yeah. It's just, I'm just curious. I mean, you that. have, you have, you know, a lot more years sober than you than you ever did using um so I, I wonder what that how that's evolved over the years and I, I'm, I like I said I know it's not even possible to make that like a short answer but I was just, I was just curious if wow. what came to mind when when I asked that and and I think I, I think the idea of starting out and, and grasping at anything and taking all the information that you're given no matter what, uh, compared to like being happy with the amount of information you have now is a good, is a good answer to that. There's awareness and there's assimilation starts with ASS where I have assimilated a lot of the information and felt like, you know, a lot of the time. And then there's actualization where now I feel that, I'm able to act on my own behalf in a, in a much more self-loving way than I ever have been. And, and at the same time, actual with, with actualization become comes the pain. If you look in Maslow's book, uh, the psychology of being with actualization comes the, I don't want to say burden, but the pain of watching other people like detaching enough and letting other people, learn their own lessons in in the way that they have to learn. Right. So, so actualization, I get to act in a self-loving way, be who I am, enjoy my life, have, you know, lean in towards good, healthy pleasures and, 
not feel guilty about it. And, and if somebody else doesn't want to come along or, um, or, or do that for themselves, but I, I can act on my own half and, and ideally be an example. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's I, I'm super happy for you. Um, all the times I've, I've gotten to talk to you both on like this and, and, and in clubhouse has been enjoyable and, and beneficial. And I'm happy to, I'm excited to, at the prospect of having your book, Hey, you never know the timing wise, it's going to, it could pop up in one of my classes. (laughs) So, so that worked out. Um, I, but I think that's all I got. Did I skip over anything you wanted to discuss? No, I just, uh, um, I just hope I add value to your, your podcast. That's what I I really want to do. I think you do. I, uh, you know, you said that last time and I, I'm, yeah, you know, you're questioning yourself. You're, you got a lot of value. Your story is a. Uh, every time I, most times anyway, that I, I reach out to anybody to do the show, um, most people answer like, "Oh, my story's not very interesting. Like, I don't have anything interesting to say." And people really second guess their lives. It's <laughs> so, like as far as you know. I, I think if yeah. you ask someone to summarize their lives in, in, in an hour, um, they, the question can be overwhelming. And, and a lot of times you think of your life in the moment and some people just think, Oh, it's boring. And that's never true. Every, every experience is unique. And in the more stories, my, my belief is the more stories you hear of other people's lives, uh, the more, empathetic and open-minded and and better you are as a person um so i I think in in that alone you you add value to to me and anyone listening so uh on top of that i'm interested in the topics you talked about so you add value for me too so don't don't worry about that i think mission accomplished there and i i'm I'm happy that we got to talk again and uh, find out more about you Okay. Well, Joy, I love this. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, it's a, always a pleasure talking with you. And let me know what happens with the book. I, I'm really curious. And I'll let it unfold, but I'll keep you posted. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Okay. And uh, I mean, what you're in California. You're going to be fine. Enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you too. You too. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? All right, you just listened to my interview with my friend Joy. That was such a nice uh, nice conversation. And, you know, we, we branched off on so many tangents uh, that, that I had to cut out some of it. And, like, even at the end, uh, I talked a lot about the people under the stairs for a minute because... I have so many memories of that movie. And you know what I looked up today was that as a, I didn't realize, I guess when I looked it up, written and directed by Wes Craven, my my horror movie hero. So, you know, rest in peace, Wes Craven, and another great call out for October, along with Sober October, which obviously Joy fits into that, Wes Craven, uh, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, horror movie writers and directors of our time. Uh, from people under the stairs. So awesome. Thank you, Joy. You can um, follow her at Joy Andrioli. 
That's J-O-I-A-N-D-R-E-O-L-I. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed that, and I will talk to you next week. Okay? Thank you. I love you. Bye-bye.